1: just go to cars.com
0: It's magical. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the special holiday edition of Broad Street Hockey Radio. Now, this year, we couldn't have our annual festivist party, which sucks, but that's the way 2020 goes. So we tried to do a couple of really... Fun, special things just for our audience that makes up for not being able to hang out together and watch some hockey in a bar. Uh, so, this episode is very similar to our 100th episode, which, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it because it is fantastic. We've collected stories and oral histories and drunk histories from various members of Broad Street Hockey. So, you will be hearing from members new and old voices that you've heard before voices that you hear every week and voices that you've never heard before stories that'll make you laugh that might make you cry and a lot that will make you laugh and ask yourself why you are a flyers fan you know the broad street hockey special so tuck in take a listen and thank you for all of your support over all of the years but especially this one which sucks so much
2: What is up, Broad Street Hockey? It is me, your boy, Ryan Quigley here to take you on a quick jaunt down memory lane in Flyers history. So I want to I wanna reflect on a time that, for me personally, was one of my favorite times in recent history of being a Flyers fan. Um, and well, at the same time, it was also one of the most embarrassing because you had Andrew McDonald and Nick Schultz and... Chris Vandevelde all doing their thing on the ice, and then you had Dave Haxtell doing Dave Haxtell's stuff on the bench. So <laughs> very far from ideal, but that's neither here nor there. We are here to talk about the 2015-16 season. Yes. Yes, we are, folks. And when we look back at that year, I typically tend to think about two things. The first was the breakout of the Ghost Bear himself, Shane Gossesbear. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. At a time that I feel like the Flyers desperately needed something, anything cool to happen, they actually got a little bit of luck because Ghost was just flat out electric in his rookie year. 17 goals, 46 points in 64 games, and in my heart, The winner of the Calder Trophy. Incredible. Get fucked, bread man. Go get an award that's age appropriate for you, you clown. Ghost for Calder till I die. I'm taking that with me to the grave. I want that on my tombstone. I don't even care if it's outdated. Whatever. If you know, you know. But you see, as much as awesome as Ghost Breakout was, and as much as I would like to just talk about that here, you know we can't do that. This is a Festivus special, folks. And what is Festivus all about? It's all about airing your grievances. You just gotta let it all out. Talk about it. Let everybody know how you feel. And that's what we're doing right now. And the second notable thing that happened during that 2015-16 season that I feel like people tried to not talk about for obvious reasons is the awful, absolutely terrible, atrocious goal that Steve Mason gave up in game two of the Flyers playoff series if you want to call it that against the Capitals so to this day that remains the most horrific thing I've ever seen with my own two eyes and I, I once walked in on my parents during sexy time that goal was that bad it was worse than seeing my parents doing the deed it was absolutely atrocious
3: welcome to my
2: Uh, All I remember is (laughs) Jason Chimera redirecting a stretch pass from Carl Alsner at center ice. I think there was, it was less than two minutes into the second period of game two. No bounce, by the way, this puck was literally just sliding flat on the ice towards Steve Mason. Perhaps it was moving a little swiftly, but not quick enough where he could have lost, really lost track of the puck at all. Very easy stop that any goalie can make, but Mason just totally misplayed it and allowed it to go through his his five hole to make it two nothing caps early in the second period. And once that happened, I was like, "Oh, okay, it's it's going to be that kind of goal. It's going to be that kind of series, huh?" <laughs> Excellent, terrific. Um, and I just, I still can't believe it. I still can't. The worst part is, literally seconds before that goal, he made a bunch of ridiculous saves to keep it a one goal game. Like he, he made like a a split save on John Carlson just before letting in the worst goal I've ever seen in my life. And it just makes me wonder like, dude, what happened? Like what happened in your mind to make that occur? I don't know, but it's just, I was living it with a bunch of Capitals fans at the time. I'm from Virginia. So there are a lot of Capitals fans down here and there was nothing I could say Or do to avoid being roasted by them. Like, (laughs) I just had to, all I could do was just shrivel up into a raisin and just endure the torment that was coming my way. And it was all Steve Mason's fault. And I I think the most unfortunate thing about that goal is that that's how people are going to remember Steve Mason.
4: I will remember
2: you. I'll go on record and say, I was a big Steve Mason apologist until the very end. I never thought he got quite the respect he deserved. Was he a franchise goalie? No, definitely not. I feel like most rational people can agree on that. Um, But I do think he was a perfectly solid goalie capable of showing up in some big games, as he showed in his performances against the Rangers a couple years earlier in the playoffs. So in a way... I actually feel really bad for Mason because I know he was a much better goalie than his reputation kind of shows. It's just a shame because I think for a while he was the closest thing the Flyers had to a truly, like, good goalie. Because it wasn't Neuvert, it wasn't Ray Emery, it wasn't Briz. I don't know. I I just, I kind of feel bad for Mason and, uh, you know, but at the same time, I guess... I guess when you let up a goal like that, you can't really do much defending of yourself, can you? So, yeah, I'll I'll never forget that goal. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll never have to see anything like that ever again in Flyers history. Keep your fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Happy Festivus, everybody. And I hope you all have a happy, happy holiday. Go Flyers. Hail Gritty.
1: Pals, how we doing? It's Kelly, Broad Street Hockey, Broad Street Hockey Radio, and I am going to take you on a little journey and tell you a little story. I will preface this by saying that I am absolutely terrible at doing these little solo Johns that we do from time to time. I'm much better when I have my friends and co-hosts to chat with, but I'm going to do my best. So. I'm going to channel my inner Bill mats and I am going to start at 1.52 p.m. in the afternoon by cracking into an ice-cold Bev. This is a hazy pup, low-calorie IPA, because I am boring. Pretty good, drinking beer. All right, so having got my Bill Mats on, no let's get started going to tell you about the time that I drank beer from the Calder Cup. But I'm pretty good at drinking beer. If you've heard the story already, I apologize. I'm going to tell it again. So the year was 2004 to start. And if you are a youth and you don't remember back this far, this was the time that the league locked out completely for an entire season. The whole thing was lost, start to finish. It was extremely NHL um, and, you know, a real bummer for anybody that liked the sport of hockey, but it did kind of, in Philadelphia anyway, have a little bit of an unintended consequence that actually, I think, brought us some of the most fun hockey that the city has ever seen. So, Given that the NHL wasn't a thing, um, there were quite a lot of young players on the flyers at that time that remained AHL eligible, so they were able to play for the Phantoms that season. And before the Phantoms became the first the Adirondack Phantoms and now the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, they were, of course, the Philadelphia Phantoms, and they played their games at the Spectrum. There was actually a lot of times that the Flyers and the Phantoms would be playing on the same night across the street from each other, across the parking lot, and both buildings would be nearly full to capacity. It was a really fun time to be a hockey fan in Philadelphia. This year, because there was no hockey, the Phantoms got to play in the, at the time, Wachovia Center, which is now the Wells Fargo Center. Pardon my text message. I'm a professional. So... That season, we essentially, in Philly, got to see an NHL hockey team playing in the AHL against mostly AHL competition, and as a result, the Phantoms were extremely fun. We'll fast forward all the way to the playoffs that year. The Phantoms went into it. I looked this up because, again, I'm a professional. They were the second seed in the East Division. They had come up short to the Binghamton Senators just a bit. Um, But don't let that fool you. They were absolutely dominant that season. So we're getting playoff hockey at the Wachovia Center. Everything's great. Um, Just to give you an idea of how fun that playoff run was, the Phantoms ended up setting some pretty wild records during this Calder Club playoffs. Uh, They won 11 consecutive home games in their playoff run. So imagine this. Every single game that we were going to at the Wells Fargo Center, Wachovia Center, was uh, pretty much every single one of them was a win.
5: All I do is win, 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 no matter what.
1: Then we get to the Calder Cup final, where they end up sweeping to win the Calder Cup. It was a ton of fun. Um, you're talking about a team that had Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, um, RJ Umberger, guys like, and then you had fun guys like Todd Fedoric, Josh Gratton. Um On defense, we had Dennis Seidenberg. Remember him? Yoni Pitkinen was playing defense for the Phantoms. During that season, in goal, we had Antero Nidamaki, who, while he never really panned out in the NHL, was an outstanding AHL goaltender. He actually won the MVP during these playoffs. So it was a very talented team, and it was a lot of fun to watch. So let's talk about the night that they won the Cup. I was at the game with a couple of friends of mine that I'm sadly no longer friends with because, you know... Life happens from time to time. Excuse me. So we're at the game wearing our purple shirts that were the giveaway that evening. I believe they were trying to purple out the arena. I think it worked. Um, They're actually really nice shirts, purple shirts with the Phantoms logo on them. The Phantoms logo is so good. Anyway, so it's game four. They have won the first three games of of this final. It's game four. We're all hoping for a sweep, which we inevitably end up getting. Celebration ensues. The Wachovia Center, I believe, was sold out that night. Um, If not sold out, very nearly sold out. It was definitely filled to the rafters. Um, And people, you know, were going as crazy as you go when the team that you're rooting for wins the championship. After All of that settled after the on ice presentations happened and after the building started to clear out, my friends and I, we didn't want the fun to end. We were having too much fun. We were too excited. So we thought to ourselves, what can we do here in the city of Philadelphia to continue this celebration? Where can we go to have some more fun? And it dawned on us that we could go to McDaniels down on 2nd and Snyder, which at the time, was the bar that was pretty commonly known that the Phantoms went to.
6: Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your
1: name. And you know, on their off times, after games, to celebrate things, that kind of stuff. And we thought to ourselves, let's go there. At the very least, it's a fun place to celebrate this Phantoms win, We'll have a couple of drinks. We'll have some fun. We'll go home. So we leave the Wacovia Center parking lot, drive ourselves down to South South Philly, and we have a seat at the bar at McDaniel's. While we are there, a couple of other Phantoms fans, still decked out in their purple gear, came into the bar as well. We all had a lot of fun celebrating together. At one point, I don't know why. Oh, I do know why, actually. I'll get there. So at one point, I can remember um, all of us. It was me and two of my friends, and there were the two other strangers that became our friends that night, were dancing and singing along to the songs that came on the jukebox. And at one point, Mr. Brightside Shall came on. The at the time, kind of a... Hit song. And uh for some reason, a few beers in, we decided that it was hilarious that the song featured the words, open up my eager eyes, and we were celebrating a team that had Ben Eager on it. So the five of us, three friends, two strangers that are new friends, are singing at the top of our lungs this song. For some reason, as a tribute to Ben Eager, because we were both hockey drunk and alcohol drunk at that point. And it was just like one of those times, you know, where life is just easy and fun and everyone is your friend and nothing can go wrong. So as this celebration is happening, I don't know how much time passed, but players started to trickle in. As I said, this was the bar that they went to. One by one, guys started to arrive. Jeff Carter and Mike Richards are there. Um, I believe, I'm trying to remember who else was there. Of course I remember them because they're, like, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, I think, I think Freddie Meyer was there. Um, no, I don't remember who else was there specifically except for Josh Gratton. Josh Grattan was there. Um, the guys were kind of just you know getting their celebration on doing shots having fun at some point the calder cup was produced i'm not sure (laughs) where it came from um, or who brought it in but at some point it's all a bit hazy because it was a long time ago and also beer um at some point josh gratton ended up behind the bar in nothing but his underwear. Uh, I think he had a cowboy hat on. And he had the calder cup in his hand. He was putting beer in it. And he was letting anyone and everyone take a sip out of the cup. So as this thing is being passed around, this, at this point, rather crowded South Philly bar, eventually, it makes its way to the bunch of dorks still wearing their purple who were there to celebrate the win. Didn't really know that we were going to get to celebrate the win with the players. But the cup made its way over to us. And one by one, we drank a little sip of beer out of the Calder Cup. Is it as cool as drinking out of the Stanley Cup? No. Who's to say I won't do that too, though? But I do have to say that being able to tell people, like you people, that I drank from the Calder Cup, it's kind of fun. So yeah, that is my my little, not actually drunk, I've had two sips of beer, not actually drunk, not actually flyers, bit of history. It was a little bit of a disjointed bit of history, I know. But as I said, it was quite a long time ago. The night was hazy. But I can tell you that thinking back to that time, the time when hockey was kind of the biggest deal in the city of Philadelphia, it was a lot of fun. And I really think, to tie it all together, this group of weirdos that we're rooting for right now, I think, might just bring that level of fun back to the city. So, hope you enjoyed my silly little story, and I hope that you all have a lovely Christmas if you celebrate it, and that you all have a happy new year. Love you
7: guys. I'm gonna talk about Ray Emery just jumping Braden Holby back in twenty thirteen. And uh, I just remember it was twenty it was uh, November first. Because I remember it was the day before my birthday. Because I was about to go out drinking for it. And I remember that the fires really sucked that year. Like, the beginning of 2013-14 was a pretty fucking terrible time. They started 1-7-0? And Ed Snyder had the comments about, uh, we don't need to change our culture. Or, uh, I think, I forget what the line was. But, yeah, I think that was it. And... Uh, the team just looked like they're destined to have a horrible season. And early on in the season, they traded Max Talbot for uh, Steve Downey, and uh, that Pittsburgh writer made a big deal about it and like talked about how, uh, like Steve Max Talbot was an actual, actual NHL player, and it was like this whole fucking thing that was like a joke thing. Like, do you remember it was Dijon Kova? Actual I think.
5: NHL player Max Talbot. Yeah, I remember actually, that
7: actual that. hockey player. Yeah, Actual um,
5: hockey player Max Talbot. And yeah. I also remember the culture change comment. I think that was Mike Siel- uh, Sielski's thing, was the culture change. Yeah, change. yeah. Whatever. Okay. But well, that wasn't a good year. It was not a good year going into that point.
7: Yeah. No, it was no. So it was a terrible year. I'm sorry, I was trying to look up for the exact quote. I found a surprise Pro Street hockey article. Oh, wow. Uh,. Yeah, actual hockey player traded away for Steve Downey, question mark. Yeah, and then, okay. Hashtag LOL Flyers. Very original, coming from uh, from Dijon. So, anyway, yeah, the Flyers really sucked that year. <coughs> and LeCavaguer somehow brought, like, 20-something goals that year. And I remember one of the wins early on was because they got a hat-trick. Uh, he got a hat-trick against the Islanders in New York. And then I think they were three and eight. I'm a whopping. I think they improved to a whopping three and eight when they took on the Caps that day on November first. And all I remember from the game is Joe Ward scored a lot. I don't know if he had a hat trick. I think he had a hat trick. He was scoring a lot of fucking goals. Like two men, like it was a suspicious amount for Joel Ward. Like, I like Joel Ward, but it was a few. So I wanna I know he had two. I think he had a hat trick, though. I think I remember them making a deal about a hat trick. And uh besides that, uh, I think they gave up... I think the Flyers are now like seven to nothing in the second. Or it was at least six nothing. Like they were getting just fucking murdered. Like just killed at home. Yeah, it was a bad game. And I remember after the seventh goal, Simmons just decided, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start fighting people." Is-
3: yeah.
7: So the shift to after they made it seven just- nothing, he checked. I think he checked. Oh God, he checked the defenseman with a pretty good hit, not really borderline, and then. He hit Tom Wilson with a borderline hit, it felt like. But it wasn't... I mean, it's Tom Wilson. Who the fuck cares? But then...
5: I mean, if you hit a dumpster, does it feel pain?
7: Yeah, that's the opposite one. Of, it was very philosophical. Everybody had to stop for a second. But then uh, Simmons ended up fighting Wilson. I think he did... I think he got a... I think he did pretty well on it. And then... If I remember correctly. And then... Also, Brandon Shannon fought... So Brandon Shannon fucked somebody up. Like a big dumb defenseman. Uh, I think it was like...
5: So I'm like, he I, I was like just, thinking of like
7: Keith I'm like thinking of Keith Urban, but it doesn't his name. Keith <laughs> Urban. <laughs> he had like a Country U- Star Keith name. Urban. He fought somebody. Oh my god, it's gonna bump the shit out of I'm gonna look at it. But I think well, Spray and Shed actually, like, won the fight. Like, I remember the Flyers, I mean, it wasn't anything to be proud of. they were getting fucking killed on the score. They were losing seven to nothing, and they were just they were doing alright in these fights. But then I just remember the main thing was just Emery charging down the ice and Braden Holtby there's no reason to hate, uh, hate Braden Holtby like the Caps the, there wasn't like a the Flash and Caps hated was, each other but there was wasn't TJ any Yoshi? recent history no it wasn't TJ Oshie it was he fought
5: um, TJ Oshie
7: well that was the 2016 playoffs
5: yeah that's what that's a big at. one
7: yeah but no he no it was a big defenseman I think it was like um, well the game was November 1st 2013 it oh, was, because, okay. because I remember the next day they won on my birthday and they, still kind of played like shit, but they won nothing against the Devils and I was like, what a what a birthday present! Thank you for this boring ass win. <laughs> Thank you for this very not entertaining, but
5: <laughs> was it Alexander? Uh, the, it's the a, Ur-Bom?
7: Yep. Yeah. 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 It was, I yeah, found it uh, on 34. hockey fights.
6: There you go. Yeah. That's of course.
5: And. He was voted winner by 75.8% of the voters. Oh, so. baby. All right. Mazel so many many to Babby Sheen there.
7: Oh, wait. Braden Sham was the winner?
5: He was. That okay. Was, like, that's the what only you're time okay. in his. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
7: I'm sorry. there. Because usually
5: he had, like, the little rabbit punches in the fights. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, granted, the... the guy would probably beat the shit out of me, but every time he fought, it was hilarious because it was
4: like. He had you a see a lot of guys that have these, like, big
5: walloping punches. Like, even yeah. Ron Hextall in the Felix Popvin one I mentioned. Big wallop and punches. And Brain just like, bam, 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 bam. He had a... Tiny little jabs.
7: What was it? He had a pretty bad one. Um I think he wasn't fighting Mark Stahl. I don't think he was. He was fighting so many of the Rangers, but he had that... Like, he was pretty much, like, punching the back of his, like, jersey like they were, like, drums. Yep. <laughs> like, it was just, like, not... It was just not a good... And then he got knocked out by Kovalchuk that one time. Why am I talking about Brain What's going on here? Are we're ta- talking uh, about... Oh, Opie. yeah, yeah, He we're did, uh... He fought Erba. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah uh yeah, so but he like Urbom's a little bit bigger than him too, so he he fucked him up though. Um and then Ray Emery, who Ray Emery was I mean, unfortunately he passed away, uh, but he he was a pretty fucking nuts guy. Like he was just intense. And apparently there was like this story about him eating a cockroach in the locker room. Do you remember that? On, like, I've dad, never heard that one. What is that? I think that was him. Uh I think that's who gotta look it up but
5: I'll look it up. I'm here to stack. Yeah. Uh,
7: so, and then also, he also uh, got into a fight with Martin Braun. Like he, he did a pretty good number on Braun. So then
5: blue eyes.
7: Yeah. And then, uh, the, Oh yeah. The caps, there wasn't, there was no real series. There was like no hatred like filled. Well, 2008 was a pretty intense series, but like a couple years later, I don't think it was that heated. There wasn't like any, there are close games, but I'm trying to think of, yeah, okay. Never mind. There are a couple of big like blowouts too that are pretty physical. So anyway, they fucking hate each other, and the game just got out of reach. And just, Brayden Hopey did not want to fight at all. This was the whole thing, and he seems like a pretty nice guy. Like overall, Brandon Hope seems like a pretty understanding guy, pretty cool guy. And uh, I, I could understand how wanted to fight a pissed off Ray Emery because there was a goal in that game too, where surprise after Joel Ward scored. Uh, Ray Emery, like, was. I think he had lost his helmet before Ward scored. And everybody was like, Is that a goal? And the rest are like, Yeah, it's obviously a goal, even though his helmet's also like, you know, well, you know, they they wave it off every other time, except for that time. But. Uh, so, it's just not. Does not want to fight at all. And that doesn't stop Ray Emery. So, Ray Emery just goes right out. <laughs> just starts wailing on him I mean a pretty good amount there were uh, there was a lot of punches um and
5: uh like you don't hear with a lot of NHL fights like you don't hear a lot of people talk about like pressing charges and you heard was, a lot of people talking now. about yeah. pressing charges after this fight because it, like Holtby didn't want any part of this and Ray Emery basically drug him kicking he, the screen he really did cornered it literally dragged the him. shit out of him yeah
7: and, uh, it was, uh... Yeah, I mean, somebody should have broken it up. I mean, if not the refs, somebody should have just been like, alright, that's... I-, I thought another cap was gonna... Yeah.
5: If I'm a ref, I'm not getting in the way of Ray Emery. I mean, this is the guy who won $500 from Daniel Alfredson to eat a cockroach that had scurried into their dressing room.
7: There you go. So, he d- yeah, see? So, he's... Yeah, he was a maniac. He was just... He was just an intense guy. And, uh he just, I'm not, I'm not surprised he, I think he would have won an actual fight with Hopey, honestly, but also Holtby, I don't think Hopey's ever gonna fight I like I don't know, he doesn't seem a guy it's like a guy that ever wants to fight, I know he's probably been in a couple fights that I'm like blank on right now, but.
5: I mean, like Ray Emery is listed, he's got at least three NHL fights and he's got a ton in the AHL and OHL as well, like oh Ray God, Emery's yeah. fought a ton, whereas like I'm gonna look up I'm going to look up Holpe right now. I feel like him,
7: I'm picturing him fight somebody else now that I said that he doesn't.
5: Like, I I, I can't. He's got two fights, and one was in the WHL. He's only got okay, one so NHL now. fight listed, and it's and not really a fight because that is. He's just getting the shit yeah.
7: beat out of him. By okay, Ray so Emory. never mind. I, I can't. It must have just been that incident, yeah.
5: They called and, Ray Emery Razor for a reason, and that was. I mean, you know, I, I talked about Ron Hextall being a maniac, but like Ray, Ray Emery. Ray like, Emery may have
7: been up there. yeah. Would
5: you say he's the toughest goalie in Flyers history?
7: Oof. I mean, he might be. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's those. It's one of those too, isn't it? Unless it's there's gotta somebody. Be. Where...
5: I, I, I mean, respect to Bernie, but like you know, we're talking toughness. It's down to those two guys. I think we
7: have. I think Bernie would be up there too, but I don't think he would be. I think if you think of, like, blue-collar tough, you think more of, like, yeah, Hextall. Or, uh, it's one of those two, Hextall or Emery.
5: I don't think about Bernie fighting, that's for sure.
7: Yeah. Although, I'm sure he probably threw some down. I feel like he sure. had to on that team. Yeah.
5: But, you know, he never... <laughs> he never had questionable assault charges. Yeah,
7: no. Yeah, and, yeah. like, and I think, like, somebody did get in Emery's face after the fight, but... I don't know. It was one of those situations where it felt like uh, a third man in wasn't going to be like that crazy of an idea. Like I understand that's a pretty big like punishment, but it's still I don't know. That's, it felt like drastic times call for drastic measures type of thing. Like I think it's, it's someone should have stepped in there. It's just my not saying Emery should have done what he did at all. I'm just saying like I don't know. That was hard to watch. That was like it was just a ridiculous thing that happened, and it was just. God, the beginning of that season really fucking sucked. It was the worst. Like, they were absolutely terrible. And then I'm trying to remember what started turning it around. I forget what game it was. Ray Emery. But, yeah, that's what they, yeah, it really was kind of what it came down to. Uh was around that game. I think they had a closed-door meeting uh, at some point there. that time. Here. Uh that's it's just like toe. Max
5: Talbot willingly letting himself get the the shit kicked out of. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, led exactly. to the Penguins winning a game. You know, that's how it goes.
7: Yeah, but then I remember they had a bunch of last minute comebacks that year, and then they ended up they ended up push, uh, pushing a series to seven against the Rangers. But I I really didn't think it was going to be that close to begin with. I remember Steve Mason looking pretty good, which it's kind of funny that was like a positive that year. I don't know. Like Steve Mason was such a. God damn, Steve, I'm happy Steve Mason's not on the flyers anymore just so we don't have to talk about Steve Mason anymore. It just felt like a, a wild topic to always be talking about. He was just an up-and-down goalie. And uh, that's kind of all he was. It wasn't like... I don't think he was... I think he was a little bit better than people thought he was, but I don't, I don't know. It just felt like for as bad as those teams were, a lot was made about his play. And it just kind of felt like a situation where uh, not too many goalies can really thrive with uh, what was in front of him, so. Um, but, yeah, Ray Emery, what the hell? I I, I mean, that was it. That, that game was just nuts, and it was a real low point of that season, and they ended up turning it around, and, uh, I mean, it's not like things have really gotten better. That was actually the last, like, that was one of the last few seasons over the last, like, 10 years. that was really, really uh, exciting, I guess. It was, like, 2011-12 with that. Uh, And then this year is pretty good, I think. And 2015, 16, I think they're on the making. uh, 2016 is pretty good too, even though that ended up with a loss uh, to the Caps. Um, Yeah, so that's that's it. I'm done.
8: Hey guys, I'm Ben Rothenberg. here to tell you the story of the Philadelphia Flyers' six defensemen, or lack thereof, in the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs. The closest the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team has come to winning the Stanley Cup in the last three decades was in 2010, when they made it to Game 6 of the Finals. Presumably, this 2010 Flyers team was pretty good if they made the Finals in Game 6, and they were. They had lots of players who scored goals, they had some goalies who stopped goals, and they also had five defensemen. They had Chris Pronger. He was really good. Kimo Tiemannan. We love that little guy. And it was adorable how he was too short to climb over the bench. And so he had to use the door. That was great. Braden Coburn. He was solid and proved his durability by just winning a cup this year in Tampa in the middle of the 2020 pandemic. And there was Matt Carl. He was from Alaska and caught fish from the sky. That was pretty sweet. And and Lucas Krychek. He was a guy. What more could the Flyers ever need? Well, as it turns out, I did some research and- NHL teams were expected to have six hole defensemen usually, not just five. And in the 2010 playoffs, this fact proved to be a big problem for the otherwise very good Flyers. In their attempts to fill this spot, the Flyers looked to three guys from the 2005 NHL draft. The draft best remembered for Cherry Hills, Bobby Ryan going second overall behind some other guy. There was Danny Savret an offensive dynamo from Milgrove, Ontario, who will go down in history as the first NHL player to score a goal at Fenway Park for the Flyers in the 2010 Winter Classic. That was the first goal of Sivret's career, and you can read more about it in Mike Brophy's book, My First Goal, a book which I purchased solely because it had a chapter on Danny Sivret, a fact which I learned via my mostly dormant but still vigilant Google alert for Danny Sivret. Danny Sivret scored an indoor goal for the first time in his career two games later against Toronto, but then he hurt his shoulder and he, he doesn't really come back for the rest of the 2010 season wasn't clear if he was healthy or not but they didn't they didn't look to him there was oscar's bartulis next he was drafted by the flyers in the 2005 draft he was from latvia which is cool and so he joined a bunch of more famous 2010 flyers on their trip to that year's vancouver olympics this was fun for everybody involved it gave us something to cheer for on the latvian team at the olympics who needed our help And at Broad Street Hockey, we nicknamed him the Latvian Wolf in honor of Latvia's amazing pirate-themed Eurovision Song Contest entry from two years before, Wolves of the Sea.
1: sea.
8: And then thirdly, there was Ryan Parent, who didn't seem to have much going for him honestly he shared the last name of a Flyers legend by spelling but Bernie Perrant wasn't this parent's parent but after the Flyers won a shootout and got the seventh seed in the east Ryan Parent quickly took over for Bartulis, starting early in the first round of the playoffs and he kept that spot but god I still remember watching him on ice was unsettling if you ever deigned to focus in on him. Ryan Parent looked so terrified, completely out of confidence and weak on the puck and just bad at hockey. And once the Flyers got up against the wall, down 0-3 to Boston in the second round, Flyers coach Peter Laviolette correctly realized that the problem the team had been having was this Ryan Parent fellow. And so after starting the series at playing around 12 minutes a game, Laviolette rolled parents' minutes way, way back. In game four against Boston, Ryan Parent only got four minutes and 24 seconds of ice time, and the Flyers won that game. In game five, which was a comfortable 4-0 win for the Flyers, Ryan Parent only got six minutes and 16 seconds of ice time. In game six, Parent only got five minutes. And then in game seven against the Bruins, uh, the big comeback from 0-3 down, Bobby Light only trusted Ryan Parent to play four shifts for two minutes and 21 seconds. It was a drastic cutback for sure on Ryan Parent and the concept of a sixth defenseman overall, that was enough to propel the Flyers to a historic comeback. With minimal parentage, the Flyers rallied from 0-3 down to win the second round series in seven. Once again, when the Flyers faced even the slightest bit of adversity in the conference finals against Montreal by losing game three, Ryan Parent was getting bench sores once again, playing just two minutes and 25 seconds in game four and just three minutes in game five, in which the Flyers clinched the East. And Mike Richards knocked over Yaroslav Halak and then grabbed the Prince of Wales trophy, and I don't know if I've ever been happy since then, technically. The the Flyers were in the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time in 13 years. This was the big time. They packed up and flew to Chicago to go win the Cup, and for some reason, they brought Ryan Parent with them. Why? In Game 1, LaViolette only let Ryan Parent on the ice for one shift. One shift! And in that one shift, which lasted 41 seconds, the Flyers got scored on. Ryan Parent was a minus one in 41 seconds, and it would be the last time Ryan Parent ever stepped on the ice for the Flyers. Oscar Bartolus took back over in the sixth defenseman spot in Game Two and played the rest of the series. Uh, in Games Three through Six, though, Bartolus played less than four minutes in each of those last four games, as the team clearly was more comfortable at this point with only having five functional defensemen on its roster. And then it was over. Uh, Patrick Kane scored. The Flyers lost, and the Flyers haven't come that close to a cup since. Uh, but gosh, if any one of those guys had been able to play the role of a full six defenseman, I really do think the flyers might have well won the dang cup. Bartulus and Sivret both stuck around for bits of the next flyer season. Bartulus's NHL career was essentially ended in that next season by a dirty hit by former flyer, Scotty Upshaw. Right
4: oh, geez. Oscars Bartulis goes careening into the boards oh, after that oh, shot oh, by Fidler oh, was denied by Bobrovsky.
7: He is in all
3: kinds oh,
7: of hey, pain, hey, 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 obviously. Coming, JJ, I'm just coming, glad to see Oscars Bartulis moving on, his legs right now. And
8: Sivret played in the playoffs on that next year as well. He hit a shot against the Sabres in game two, the first round series that nearly killed a person. But it was cool. Everybody cheered. And both both Savrette and Bartulis remain, you know, beloved in certain niches of Flyer fandom. And I might just that might just be local to myself. Couldn't tell you. And both of them, it seems, still have fond memories of their time in Philly. Oscar's Bartulis, who is still playing professionally currently in Austria, started a youth hockey program in Latvia, the Bartulis Hockey Club, that uses the Flyers' orange and black in all of its youth hockey jerseys. Very clearly looking, very Flyersy, even. Years after last playing for the Flyers, Bartulus remains attached to the club. He even travels back to Philadelphia from Europe for medical treatment from Flyers doctors who keep giving it to him, by the way. I guess if you're a Flyer, you get like free lifetime health care. That seems cool. It wasn't clear that Bartulus ever understood the Street hockey cult love for him or even his nickname. Uh, Wolf got listed on the official Olympics website, I remember, as Bartulis's nickname. So after that, I decided to ask him at a game. Uh, that I had press credentials to if he liked that nickname, Wolf, and he just looked and said, no, my nickname is Bart, and sort of walked away. Danny Sivret, though, he was clearly super aware of Brogyn Hockey and our label of Offensive Dynamo and our love for him. Uh, that Offensive Dynamo tag followed him well beyond the Flyers as he bounced around the AHL. Here's a clip of him actually getting asked about it during a radio interview he did later in Peoria.
7: Danny Sivret, Offensive Dynamo.
4: dynamo.
2: <laughs>
4: I've seen this one They're a group of guys I think they have BroadStreetHockey.com Is their, uh, is their website And uh, you know, they're, always pretty, they're always Pretty supportive of, of me So um, every once in a while I, I check it out And see what, they, uh, what they're Shouting out about me
8: Oh and Ryan Parent Ryan Parent was picked up By Vancouver in the 2010 offseason But after being a minus 3 Through the first 4 games Of the regular season He hurt his groin And would never play Another NHL game he coaches in the devil's farm system now. Devils suck. Wake so up,
4: Philadelphia, and let me hear you sing The orange and the black, the orange and the black Of the blue that we attack We are the orange and the black, the orange and the black Reload and shoot again We are the orange and the black, the orange and the
6: black and- Hello, this is Drew here. And today I'm gonna to be telling you a story about a moment in time that really cemented my Flyers fandom. And I was, I was a Flyers fan obviously before this through my parents, but this moment kind of took that from something that I had shared interest with my parents to when it really solidified in, in, my, in my soul that I was a Flyers fan and a hockey fan for life. And at the time that this moment happened, I would have been 11 years old And the moment is from the 2007 and 2008 playoffs. Um, And if you remember, back in those days, uh, there were three divisions each in a conference, and the Flyers played in the Atlantic Division with the Rangers, the Devils, the Penguins, and the Islanders. And that year, the Penguins won the the uh, the Atlantic Division, and the Flyers were fourth in the Atlantic Division, but. Because there were no playoff rules like there are today with that, they were actually seeded for the playoffs because it was based on overall points in the conference and not division. The division winners got one, two, three, but anyone else could get in. And that year, the Atlantic Division was very strong. So the Flyers, they were the sixth seed. And they faced the three seed, who were the Washington Capitals. And the 2007-2008 playoffs are a very interesting one because there's a lot of Memorable moments from it. In the end, as you know, the Detroit Red Wings won the Stanley Cup over the Pittsburgh Penguins. But a lot of people will remember that playoffs for the Sean Avery weird screen on Brodeur where he's waving his stick all around and they had to you have a new interpretation of the weird Sean
4: Avery's tactics at screening the goaltender
2: like nothing I've ever seen before. It, it, amazing... Uh, Just walking that line. While he was facing the whole. he didn't even watch the play at all.
4: And Brodeur did his level best to keep his concentration and his cool. Gomez is flying.
6: It was pretty crazy stuff. And I'll always remember just thinking that really disgraced hockey. And yeah, it did. It disgraced hockey. But that's a topic for another day. This is about game seven of the 2007-08 playoffs between the Flyers and the Capitals. Capitals is the number three seed are home in this game. Flyers as the number six seed are away. And the series have been pretty tight uh, as, of, as of game seven. The Capitals won the first game. Flyers won the next three, including a Mike Knubel double overtime win in game number in game number four to put them up three games to one. And then the Capitals come back and take games five and six. And I'll always remember game six, because it really just felt like the momentum was completely going the Capitals' way. Uh, In the third period when Alexander Ovechkin scored his second goal of the game on the power play, I remember just thinking, well, I'm not sure how the Flyers are going to come back from this, because clearly, you know, they've won two games in a row, Ovechkin's hot, Backstrom's hot, Alexander Semen is hot, so is Sergei Fedorov. And Cristobal is playing okay, but not great, but he's doing well enough where... The Capitals look like they're going to be the ones that, that take, this, take this series. So I'm nervous going into game seven. And at the time, I actually wasn't watching this game. I remember that we had plans with our grandparents to go to a little restaurant called Ponzios, which is near my neck of the woods in South Jersey, where I'm from. And so while this game is going on, we're eating and it's not as if at the time I was allowed to have any radio or something on the on the table. So and the game wasn't on any TV in the restaurant. There were no TVs. So until around the third period, I was in the absolute dark. I had no idea what was going on. So by the time we get back in the car, we're done our meal. Scores 2-2 with about maybe two minutes in the third period. And the game goes into overtime. And on the radio, they give the recap. I'm sitting in the back seat with my brother. And as we're driving back, the overtime period starts. And it was a fairly nice restaurant, so I'd been dressed nice. But Lord knows I wanted to wear a Flyers jersey then. I just wished, like in basketball, I had like, breakaway pants or shirt. i just tear it off where complete Flyers gear had to tell. And with every call that was made, I would just be jumping up and down, up and down on the car. And we managed to get back to the house before the overtime finishes. And this is, this is a funny story, because my, we had my dad run into the house to turn the game on the TV while we were listening to the radio so we wouldn't miss a single moment in case the team scored. And so he gives us the go-ahead. We run inside just as the Flyers are going on their power play where they eventually will win the game on. And so I just managed to get back. I run up to my room, throw on a Flyers jersey. We're all sitting there on the couch. And... Paying attention, they start the power play, and then you know what happens next. You have the shot, which is saved by Huey, Breer and you lose the side of the puck.
7: the puck.
8: And then Joffrey Luke and is there to
6: just tuck move it home.
7: to Richard, set it up for Briere, was closed off. It's a drive by Thiemann, it's a rebound, it's The Flyers win it in overtime, Joffrey Lupo! The Philadelphia Flyers are moving on to the Eastern Conference Semifinals to take on the Montreal Canadiens.
6: Game seven over. Flyers win. Going through the, uh, and in context, that moment was especially remarkable, the draw, the both for me as a fan being so young and experiencing my first of all true playoff exhilaration. Because obviously in 2004, I was a fan, but I was very young at the time. And I have less memories of that than I do of um, of, prior, of other playoff series from the time especially uh 05, 6 because I remember they lost to the Sabres. And that was a very painful moment. And then in, it was remarkable because the prior season, 0607, as we all know, the Flyers were one, basically the worst team in hockey. And I'm going to skip all of the nonsense with the draft lottery and everything with that because that's a story for another time. But all I cared about was that the team was bad and I wanted them to get better. And that John Stevens-led Flyers team did get better. Made a bunch of moves, made the playoffs, pulled off a pretty big upset against the Capitals. And as a young fan, just seeing the Flyers battle throughout that whole series, having the highs and lows of being in command, losing that command, and then roaring back to to win in overtime and advance to the second round. And they they would get to the conference finals this year. And... They, they eventually, they lost to the Penguins, but regardless, it was a very good year for the team. And that was the first time I truly felt like I was part of the Flyers family. And I felt that way ever since. And I can always look back on that moment of being there on my couch with my family as something sweet, especially in these times where we all want to be with our families now. And it's, it was a truly special moment for me. And... I'll never forget it. Never
2: this so and it all to you.
3: Hey everyone, this is Kurt from Broad Street Hockey, and uh, a quick note before we begin here. This segment leans on a decent dosage of satire and should for the most part not be taken seriously. It is as important now as ever to support small businesses, and on the off chance you're listening to this from the Pittsburgh area and can give some support to DJ's BBQ, please do so. Even Penguins fans, the worst people on earth, deserve some basic human decency. Now with that earnestness out of the way, let's exact some revenge. On April 1st, 2012, the Philadelphia Flyers beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 6-4 in a game that, to the two fan bases involved and probably to the general hockey populace at large, is most prominently remembered for what happened towards the end of the game. Following a big open ice hit by Pens forward Joe Vitale on Danny Briere, with just over a minute left in the game that was well decided, a series of skirmishes broke out on the ice. This led to, among other things, Flyers head coach Peter Laviolette and Penguins assistant coach Tony Granato screaming at each other over Pierre Maguire's bald head while standing over top the edges of their respective benches, all while a man impersonating Hulk Hogan in the console energy center crowd attempted to mock the Flyers, only to have team goofball Scott Hartnell mock him right back.
9: Hey everyone, this is uh, Albert. I'm the one who's editing this. I just wanted to butt in here and say that uh, Kurt made a mistake when he spoke. He said Scott Hartnell, the player for the Flyers, was actually named Steve Hartnell. Uh, anyway, here's audio of what uh, Kurt was talking about.
6: Oh, Shen's getting it for
5: that. Shen picked the wrong guy there, Cabina steps in. Oh, we got problems right now. Tony Granado. Tony Granado right here going
4: at it. We got it left. We're gonna get it. We got it all going on here. Robbie the left's furious at yep. We're going
2: after
3: This was the beginning of a month that featured eight Flyers Penguins games. Eight six of which came in what was surely the strangest playoff series any of us have ever seen. This game was the beginning of a month that featured a whole lot of beef between Pennsylvania's two hockey teams. Unfortunately, it turns out the only beef Flyers were getting from Pittsburgh was on the ice. The win that day put the Flyers at 5-0-0 all-time in the Penguins' new arena, which had opened prior to the 2010-11 season. By this point, the Flyers' dominance in the Penns' new digs had become a bit of a running storyline, and when asked about the key to the team's success in Pittsburgh, Laviolette had the following to thank ribs. Specifically, DJs BBQ Ribs and Grill, a rib joint just across the PA West Virginia border in a town called Weirton. As Laviolette would explain after that game, direct quote here, We buy ribs from DJs in Weirden after the game and have them delivered to the plane. And those ribs seem to be doing the trick. It went back to last year too. Whenever the ribs are ordered, we win. I want to thank DJs. It was a moment of levity following a game of ridiculousness and a rivalry full of hatred. LaViolette later mentioned they became familiar with the restaurant wall head coach of the ECHL's Wheeling Nailers, becoming friends with restaurant owner Dewey Guido. And as it became increasingly clear that the Flyers and Penguins were going to face each other in the first round of the playoffs that were about to begin, those ribs were going to be as important as ever. Until, of course, they were not. Days after the Flyers went over the Pens and Laviolette's proclamation about those delicious ribs, Guida told the Steubenville Herald star that Laviolette and his team were henceforth banned from purchasing ribs at DJ's, and that he hoped the Penguins would beat their skates off when the teams played again. It's anyone's guess as to whether banning the Flyers was actually a good business move. Rivals come into rival cities and order from famous restaurants all the time, and they don't usually get rejected for doing so. Not only did the Flyers play the Pens three times a year under the old divisional alignment, but the Flyers were on pace to play the the Pens in the playoffs, as we know, ensuring that at least two, likely three, and maybe even four more potential matchups and ensuing purchases of ribs were going to come in the following weeks. And knowing that the Flyers were ordering for likely 40 to 50 people in their traveling party, many of whom were, of course, professional athletes in their 20s and 30s that worked extremely hard and could probably all eat an entire cow's worth of ribs in one sitting, there's no doubt that those were surely massive, humongous orders and ensuing windfalls of cash that Guido was saying thanks but no thanks to. That said, Guido's rejection of the idea that any publicity is good publicity and his ensuing decision to ban the Flyers was actually hilarious. I mean, come on. I'm of the belief that sports should be extremely petty wherever possible, and this is about as petty as it can get. So petty, in fact, that uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Tribune Seth Rohrbaugh noted in 2016 that LaViolette, then the coach of the National Predators, was still banned from DJs. Now, this is all obviously very silly. Unless the Flyers, um unless those ribs gave the Flyers magical farting powers that rendered Mark Andre Fleury unable to remember how to tend goal for the entire month of April, I'm pretty sure that the pens had bigger problems on their hands than what the Flyers were eating before their games. At least that was what I thought at the time, and yet the evidence since then paints a much darker picture. I mean think about it. The Flyers, surely missing those delectable ribs, needed to do everything in their power to win that series that would follow and were so drained afterwards that they had nothing left to give in a five-game series loss to to a Devils team that, let's be honest, they were better then. And in the season that followed, the Flyers were bad, missed the playoffs after not getting any ribs. In the seven seasons that followed after that one, still no ribs, still no wins. It took them until August of 2020 to persevere through the lack of ribs to finally just win a damn playoff series think about that. And in the absence of any evidence to the contrary, and I can't find any, so surely none exists. I had to believe that the, the Flyers not getting these ribs anymore was the reason that they fell apart as a franchise and suffered their worst decade in team history during the 2010. And it's all this restaurant's fault. So we are going to get back at them right here, right now with consumerism. So I said that to DJ's Yelp page in an effort to find the meanest review I could here, or to read it here and get back at these folks. And there were some good ones. There was a three-star review in which someone called it, like a cheaper Applebee's. A one-star review in which the reviewer said the manager chastised her five-year-old son for having to pee so often. A two-star review that ended with the reviewer asking, tropical paradise in Weirton? Not sure. Dot, dot, dot. There was another one-star review claiming that the restaurant served him rancid meat. Oh, and there's also the fact that under the You Might Also Consider section, which points out restaurants that are similar to this one based on the types of reviews they get, there's a Subway that's located inside of a Walmart. Yet I must end with this two-star review from a man named Dwayne. Dwayne's review reads as follows. Quote, Not sure what the hype is all about. The food is very overpriced for the quality and the service is lacking. Not family-friendly at all. We're from Cincinnati, so perhaps we expect it too much. Not worth my hard-earned money. End quote. We're from Cincinnati, so perhaps we expect it too much. I've been talking for six minutes here, and I cannot possibly come up with a better burn for a restaurant in the Pittsburgh suburbs than that. In fact, I can't possibly end this segment on a more resounding note than that. DJ's is the worst, they broke the flyers, and they must pay for what they have done by knowing that deep down, they'll never be Cincinnati. Never. There's a gal... They call the
6: Cincinnati Fireball. One look, you
5: fall for that Cincinnati Fireball. I bet you
6: five are gonna get you ten. She's gonna break my heart again.
0: But don't you know, whoa, whoa, I gotta go whoa, whoa, back to old, whoa, Ohio. Now, Let me set the stage for you. That... It's November of... 2018 and the flyers have started the season really unimpressively there have been chants of fire Hackstall" throughout the wells fargo center and at home and in local bars for the past year and this season is just awful the flyers are not only in the bottom of the metropolitan metropolitan division but they're in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Just bad. A change needed to be made, and it needed to be made soon. Everybody was talking about it. We all saw the writing on the wall. There was no way that what we thought this team could be was what we were seeing on the ice. There was just no way that this could continue for much longer. The Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers that we've been so patient with, and are two years away from being two years away are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, worse than the Sabres, worse than the Senators, there's no way that this can continue. We knew, everybody knew that there there needed to be a change. notification from the Flyers on the morning of November 26th, we were not expecting to see Ron Hextall, GM, had been fired. Ron Hextall? Not Dave Hextall? Did Paul Holmgren get them mixed up? Did Dave Scott do a name switcheroo here? It was Ron Hextall. So throughout all of our confusion, a lot of news started to come out about how Ron Hextall ran this team and really what was happening behind the scenes. Some of it, very likely to have happened. Others, maybe somebody had an ax to grind. At the end of the day, the press conference with Paul Holmgren and Dave Scott was pretty telling um, the, the way that they kept using the words unyielding um, and the way that he kept saying he being Paul Holmgren, bias for action, um, really told the full story of how they felt the Ron Hextall's tenure had been. Um, some of the quotes here, different philosophical approaches concerning the direction of the team bottom line is, we just thought that we needed to make more progress. We're a quarter way into the season, and where we are this quarter compared to the last five quarters under Ron's term, we're kind of the same. It was time to look for a new voice with a different mindset that you can push the team to the next level. Thought it was necessary to push our team forward. Ron Hextall was unyielding in his plan, remained that way. He was very confident in his plan and his vision and he wasn't going to waver from that plan. He was unyielding in his approach. Unyielding. He had plans, and he was sticking to them. You can slice and dice that any way you want. We're looking for bright, energetic, strategic thinkers, and balancing that with a bias for action and really making things happen. Those are cherry-picked quotes, obviously, from the Dave Scott and Paul Holmgren press conference, but It paints the picture. Within the next 24, 48 hours, more news was leaked from the Flyers than had been in all of Ron Hextall's tenure. And what we're hearing and what we're seeing is that he was really a tyrant. The Flyers were not able to eat pizza and wings. Can you believe one man could tell a team of adult, Athletes that they could not eat pizza and wings? Well, that was rectified immediately in the game following the Ron Hextall's dismissal uh, loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins. The press conference immediately afterwards, you see all of the players, all of the players are eating pizza and wings. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about what happened afterwards. And... It's just a little bit bizarre, but what is a control freak to do? In, in the year of our Lord, 2018, a control freak, who is Ron Hextall, books a conference room in a hotel across the street from the Flyers' practice facility and holds his own press conference. Now, it's not unusual to see Ron at a press conference, but it is unusual for a fired coach to then speak to the press this way. Think about all of the coaches that have been fired. Think about all of the coaches that have been fired since 2018, and there have not been press conferences for any of them. I don't even think Mike Babcock, who's one of the biggest coaching names in hockey, had a press conference following his dismissal, but Ron Hextall needed to control the narrative. That's you know, props, bro, because that is that is the way to really be a control freak. Like I could I could take notes from the Ron Hextall school of controlling everything. So. Some of these quotes were really to help spin his image, and he did it in a really professional way. Like, this was, this was strategic. He knew what had been said about him, and he's going to be open and honest and folksy while still giving you no information. Here are some quotes. Was I open to moving prospects or young players for players who could help this season and beyond? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, there's no way to fact check that. Great, cool. I can assure you that I was being aggressive. Also, no way to fact check that. You're doing great, Ron. You're doing great. Certainly wasn't willing to trade an early 20-year-old player for a 34, 35, 36-year-old player, especially if they had term on their contract. I wasn't going there, but I was certainly open to listening to other things. And as I said, we had a few things going on. All right, so let's talk about this one particular quote because it's telling in that it doesn't actually tell you anything. Ron Hextall is pulling these numbers knowing that nobody wants a general manager to trade an early 20-year-old player for a 34, 35, 36-year-old player with term on their contract. And no good GM would do that. So what he's saying is all of the information coming out of the Flyers headquarters now is just as ridiculous as this thought. Next quote. There's responsibility on every one of us. Myself as a manager, I put the players on the ice. Hack coaches the players. The players play. You can't sit and say it's this much the coach, this much the manager. We're all in it together. In the end, we didn't get it done. Just classic deflection. Classic taking responsibility and not actually taking responsibility. Just stunning. Chef's kiss. Really well done, Ron. Um, Let's just keep reading some quotes here. I like structure. I'm a structured guy. I believe in structure. I did see some other things like I controlled the food and stuff and I'm like, what? We hired a dietitian, and between her and Ben, they controlled our diet. The only thing I met up front, we want to be healthy. You know, after games, we want to eat anti-inflammatory food versus pizza, which is the opposite. So yeah, we did change a few things like that. Our guys went on a very healthy diet, and I believe in the 1% to try and help the players be the best they can and give them the best chance to win. This is also just absolutely amazing. So he's seeing... What is being said about him and he's like, yo, listen, pizza's bad for you. I really just want the best for you. It's gaslighting and it is amazing. You know, gaslighting in and of itself is not, but this is what he's doing. Just stunning. Next quote, I wasn't willing to trade a young player or prospect for a guy in his mid-30s that might help us this year, might clog us up down the road, and his game is dropping. Philosophically, that's kind of where I was in terms of trying to make our team better. I was on the phone Sunday trying to make our team better. Who would argue with this? It is, it's just, oh God, I cannot get over the fact that he was like, you know what, I heard you say I was unyielding from my plan and I was unyielding from my plan because my plan was good. Listen to all the crap that you wanted to do, all. And then he closes it with, I came here today because I felt like I owed it to you people. I felt like I owed it to your fans. And I guess selfishly, a little bit of closure. Now that's possibly one of the only honest things Rod Hextall said during this press conference. Selfishly. That's it. Just that word. There's no reason for any of this. He did not have to have a press conference and he did not need to clear up anything about his plan to anybody. Now, I understand that you might be saying, well, his image was tarnished. Yeah, maybe. But not to the people who would be hiring him next. The people who would be hiring him next would be looking at all of the success that he had as the general manager of the Flyers. Now, the Flyers are in a really good position here in the year 2020, about to be 21, because of Ron Hextall. And, you know, Chuck Fletcher did actually have a bias for action and did some stuff that Ron Hextall should have done. But that's what his next bosses will be looking at, not the rumors surrounding his departure, and especially not in the tire fire that was the the 2019-20 season with the coaches being fired, looking at, once again, Mike Babcock and Bill Peters, Ron Hextall was fine. He just didn't want to do what other people told him to do. This press conference, now it's not four seasons total landscaping, but it was the precursor and it is hilarious that the man, you know, in trying to defend being a control freak, really just proved how controlling he is.
2: Change
9: me in anyway. Let me set the scene. It's the fourth game of the regular season. The Flyers are coming off an overtime victory against the Anaheim Ducks and are looking to start the season 3-1. Uh, for some additional context, this is coming right after the infamous bracelet game against the Washington Capitals, so starting the season with three wins in their first four games would be quite the welcome tone to set. It really would in any season, but one especially following such a disastrous playoffs. However, they get off to a rough start in this one. After going down one in the first, two quick goals in the middle frame have them down 3-0 to zero just five minutes into the second period. You might be thinking, wow, that blows, does this game turn into one of those ugly blowouts we've come accustomed to watching? No. No, it doesn't. It's worse. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we must look at the good in this game, because first, the Flyers managed to climb all the way back from that three-goal deficit in just five minutes of game time. It's a truly amazing turn of events, sparked by none other than Andrew McDonald. Yes, Andrew McDonald gets the first goal of this comeback effort. Following McDonald's goal, Nolan Patrick would score his first goal of the National Hockey League. What a moment for him, and, you know, we sure hope to see him score again soon. Third goal comes from Valtteri Filippula, tying the game with what was the first of two goals for him that night. By the way... This game was against the National Predators. Has the light bulb gone off yet? Anyway, the third period starts. And this is where things get real good. Travis Konechny gets his first of the year. And shortly after, Phil Bula gets his second of the game. Things are looking up. The Flyers have just scored five unanswered goals against the National Predators. They have a two goal lead. Five straight goals. Momentum could not be further on their side until they go into the shell. You know the shell. You know it way too well by now. And unsurprisingly, things begin to go wrong. (laughs) First, Philip Forsberg cuts the Flyers lead to one. Not a big deal. They still have the lead, just hang on. And they do. They do hang on for quite some time. But eventually, it all falls apart. Dale Weiss and Andrew McDonald are called from minors on the same shift. Putting the Flyers down, two men clinging to a one goal lead with a little over two and a half minutes to play. Weiss goes for holding, McDonald for tripping. To the penalty kill we go, where who else but former Flyer Scott Hartnell arrives to slam home a rebound that ties the game. The comeback effort is suddenly in jeopardy. But wait, the Flyers are challenging that the entry prior to the goal was offside. Now, ahead of this season, the NHL implemented a new rule that should your coach's challenge for offside fail, your team would be assessed a minor penalty or delay of game. Now, I remind you again, this is game four of the season. Game four, the challenge happens. And was it offside? Uh, No. Uh, Was it close? Mm, That's another no, not really. And now the Flyers were to go back on the 5-on-3 penalty kill in a tie game with less than two minutes remaining in the game. After scoring five goals unanswered to erase a three goal deficit. All of a sudden, all the momentum that was on their side has swung back to the Predators as they had a last-minute chance to steal the game back. And to the Flyers' credit, they were able to kill off the five-on-three, which was great. They survived. However, three seconds later, as Dale Weese exits the box, Philip Forsberg scores his second of the night giving the Predators a one-goal lead with under a minute to play. Now, despite a valiant effort with the goaltender pulled to tie the game up again, the Flyers fall short. Their five-unanswered goal effort falls flat because of an offside challenge in Game 4 of the regular season in the first year that this rule is implemented. And you just have to think... That pretty much sums up the Hackstall era. The dumbest thing you can think of would just happen constantly. And like, you don't even get caught off guard by it at that point. It's just like, oh, what's next? Oh, the Flyers are going to play eight goalies in a season? Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe the worst part of all, the masochist in me kind of misses it a little bit. I mean, come on, I know you do too. No, it's just me. That's about
6: right.
5: Hello, welcome to PSH Drunk History. I'm your scholar, Stephen F. Frederick Jaco Esquire III, or Steve Jaco, whatever you want to call me. I do fly perbly. It's a good time. Tonight, I am here to tell you the story of Ron Hextall acting like a madman against the Montreal Canadiens, or as I like to call it, a history of Ron Hextall violence. Uh, This is your pal Bourbon Steve here. Which is, you know, when I've had a few too many uh, drinks in me. Uh, it's bourbon, and I'm also drinking a lovely brewery ARS Salted Caramel Stout. Ooh, hey, it's, it's a local brewery, and they're awesome, so support them. And it's also 10%, and it's wonderful. Anyway, let's talk about Ron Hextall. Many of you folks might know Ron Hextall as the... We're five years away GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. Ron Hextall is always getting up there going, it's all about the Utes. It's all about the Utes. Five years away from being five years away. Am I right, folks? Am I right? But before Ron Hextall was the youth building general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers and, and the fired hotel press conference giving former general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, he was an insane goaltender for the philadelphia hockey flyers ron hextall had you know he was a fantastic rookie he actually won the con Smythe, despite being on the losing end against one of the greatest hockey teams of all time the edmonton hockey oilers and he he was awesome in that series it went seven and he still won the con Smythe despite the fact that the flyers lost and didn't have tim Kerr. phenomenal stuff Let's talk about Ron Hextall, the maniac, though. Like, this is a guy who went out there and scored goals as a goaltender. Like, he got that puck. He's like, I'm I'm fucking going for it. I'm taking that shot. Ron Hextall did that. He scored two goals, one in the regular season, one in the playoffs. And he also was very violent. He was a maniac. There's a great fight from a few years ago where he fought Felix the Cat Pop Van from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he whooped his ass. It was awesome. I rewatched it just yesterday, and it was fantastic. My favorite all-time Ron Hextall moment, though, is against the Montreal Canadiens in Game 6 of the 1989 playoffs that they played against the Canadiens. Los Habatons. So, a little backstory on this one. Game 1. Chris Chelios, one of the dirtiest defensemen to ever play the game, second to only Scott Stevens, who is, of course, a war criminal, just an absolute atrocity of a human being who, you know, should not have been allowed to play NHL hockey. Uh, Chris Chelios, filthy player. I can't believe he was never a flyer. He was so filthy. <laughs> Chris Chelios drove Brian Prop's head. Poor Brian Prop Guffaw! himself drove his head into the glass in game one filthy hit like i'm reading excerpts so a lot of the quotes i'm gonna have in this are from jay greenberg jay greenberg's full spectrum one of the best flyers books ever written is so good and he has some great quotes from this but the recollection of props injury was he didn't remember what city he was in he thought he was still in pittsburgh a previous series they had played Uh, I think he was able to remember his phone number is what they said. Like Chelios knocked him the hell out with this filthy hit. It was just awful. And for the rest of the series, the flyers are pretty much taking shots at Chris Chelios because yeah, of course they are. They're the Philadelphia friggin' flyers in the eighties. That's what they did. And game six, things really come to a head and Ron Hextall, he took his shot. He saw his shot and he took his shot. Ron Hextall like a bat out of friggin' hell, leaps at Chris Stelios, blocker first, and starts just insanity on the ice. Just everybody going at it. It's just one of my favorite moments. Like, you pull up the video, I've watched this video, like the Zapruder film, right? Where Ron Hextall just leaps in out of nowhere, blocker first at Chris Stelios. It's so great. I love it. It's the best thing Ron Hextall ever did. And again, this is a guy who won the playoff MVP against Gretzky's Oilers and almost... This is the closest the Flyers have come to a cup, right, since the 70s, is Ron Hextall single-handedly just killing it in the 80s. But this was not the occasion. But Hextall leaves the Chris Chelios blocker first. Like, you never see goaltenders do this. And, like, there's some great quotes from Full Spectrum on this where, like, Patrick Wise, like, I never had any respect for Hextall. Pfft! <laughs> Okay, wah. Your name is Roy, not wah. Give me a break. Uh, The crowd was chanting, We want Chelios, and they were throwing trash on the ice, which I don't condone throwing trash on the ice or light up bracelets or whatever. Whatever. Uh, I, whatever. Chelios was trash, and they were just throwing Chelioses out at him. Chelios quote, You never know what to expect with Ron Hexta. but I saw him, and I was ready. He's full of shit. I was fortunate I didn't get, in the, get a skate in the head or anything. He was fortunate, because very much Happy Gilmore style, Ron Hextall, I'm sure, was very tempted to stab a man with his skate at some point. And Hextall comes back and he says, Did you see what he did to Brian Prop? Come on. I think we owed him something. God Almighty, he just about took Prop's head off. I think that's good reason. You're damn right, 80s Ron Hextall. That was good reason. And that quote is almost as magnificent as your mustache of the era. And, you know, for all the shit that GM Ron Hextall might get, and, you know, I, I give Ron Hextall a lot of credit for clearing the cap situation and doing a good job with the prospect pool. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk about a history of Ron Hextall violence. We are talk to here, we're talking about the fact that Ron Hextall was one of the craziest goaltenders of all time. And that's why he is a Philadelphia friggin legend he's one of those guys when you think of the philadelphia flyers you think of ron hextall being a maniac and i love him for that cheers ron the don hextall that's not his nickname he's just ron he's hexy sexy hexy cheers ron
4: everybody how you doing well that's good my name is bill Matz, and i'm your director of fun and games for the evening uh well really it's it's very early in the morning and i am very late uh turning in my drunk flyers history so it can be released as a special holiday episode uh but i had to take some time to get into character you could probably already hear it i took the drunk part of this seriously a little peek behind the curtain before we get going this is the thing I'm the worst at: recording by myself. Uh, I always have an audience, whether it's my co-hosts on BSH, the live viewers on post game, whoever I'm talking to as a guest on live radio, whatever. I have someone looking at me, and I can tell if I'm making any fucking sense. Uh, that's not the case here. When I did the Flyers uh, Senators brawl drunk history, it was uh, it was my friend Frankie who I reference all the time. Uh, he was recording and directing me during that, so like even then, didn't really didn't really do this. Uh, again, more peek behind the curtain. I was gonna do my f- top five fan moments uh, with Frankie as my co-host. I-, I ran out of time to make that happen. I-, I-, I simultaneously realized we wanted to get this out before Christmas and thought, oh yeah, when I see him on Christmas Eve, we'll do it. Well, that was yeah. You know, Obviously, those two things don't jive. So didn't make that happen. One day, uh, we will make something like that happen. Uh, but I'm just going to tell a story, and if it sucks, I'm sorry, but this was free for you. Everybody recorded something. Uh, I'm doing mine now. Hopefully you like it. Uh, anyway, I bet it's moderately entertaining, even in just me being ridiculous. Uh, so I have half an old-fashioned and about a high life and a half in front of me, and I'm just gonna tell a story until I finish them, or I realize that this sucks, and just decide to send Steph this recording, uh, and play it off as a bit, so, uh, let's see how this goes, all right, hey, everybody, oh, no, wait, I did that already, well, see, that was stupid, like, I wrote that to do, like, I forgot I did it already, but, uh, obviously i was acting that wasn't good uh, anyway um how about them birds right <laughs> jalen hurts how about it uh you know deep down it's it, it's best uh it's best for the eagles i know to have the highest possible draft pick but as a fan of train wreck sports radio god damn how great would hurts like winning the division be Imagine if he won a fucking playoff game. Even if, you know, they win the division at like six wins. Imagine if he wins a playoff game. Just the best stuff will never be able to turn off. All right, enough of that shit. I'm just fucking with you. Uh, so I, I want to tell the story of uh, the Flyers. Uh, the Flyers' 2010 run. And I'm sure someone has something uh, in here about this already. But this is a personal story for me. I wanna, I want to let you guys in to me as a fan that's i play a lot of different roles on the show and throughout different media uh and anyone listening to this realizes uh that but deep down like i am a stereotypical philadelphia fan like i i've climbed uh you know i've climbed the light poles i've done all that shit Like, I've been in fights in the parking lot. I've been inebriated at every stadium that stood during my lifetime. Like, this is who I am deep down, and I'm sure that comes through. Uh, I'm not always able to really disguise my biases, but I just want to tell this this story of this run and what it was to me, this little time in my life. Uh, So my friends and I, about eight of us, planned a a last-minute trip. Uh, Simone Gagne had just won Game 4, of the Eastern Conference semifinals to extend the series uh, after Boston took a 3-0 lead in 2010. So this is the Gagne game winner in overtime. Okay, there's a series. Gagne's coming back from injury. It's dramatic. It's awesome. Uh, But despite that emotional win, uh, my friends and I kind of decided to hitch our wagons to the Phillies, uh, who were going to go play a weekend series in Milwaukee, opening with a Friday night game, in retro uniforms, the Phils were going to wear the powder blues uh, for the first time in forever. This isn't, it, it wasn't like now where they rock their coolest uniform every Thursday night. Like, it was cool that they were wearing their powder blue jerseys and they were doing it on the road. You know, Flyers were down 3-1 in the series. Uh, why not go to the home of Miller Light and see what's up? Watch some baseball for a few days. Uh, my buddy Mike, I will give Mike this credit, he did remark when we were, like, booking the trip We'd all watch the play, uh, game at my place uh, at 11th of Wallace at the time. We'd all watch the game there, and then, you know, they won, and we were excited, but we are like, yeah, let's still plan this trip. Uh, my buddy Mike did remark, Friday is the same day as Game 7, just throwing it out there. And I replied, of course, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Now, that is not... Fuck. All right. I feel like the way I'm telling this is boring and honestly, I'm getting bored with my own story cuz like, you know, it's a story I have. I've told it before. Uh and maybe some of you have even heard it. Maybe I've told this story before. So I'll just give you I'll just give you the other version and then we'll do some other stuff here cuz I- I'm bored of this story already, honestly. Uh so we get there the uh, the game won on Friday of uh of Brewers Phillies. Is Friday night, uh, the same day as Game Seven, uh, Flyers, uh, Flyers, Bruins. Flyers have come back. Of course, they've tied the series, uh, and w- w- we're in fucking Milwaukee to watch the Phillies while the Flyers are playing this epic Game Seven. Uh, we find out that the uh, Miller Park, uh, Miller Park has a great sports bar. We find out. Turns out it's a fucking TGI Fridays, uh, but nonetheless. We go to the game. We go to this Phillies, uh, you know, this Phillies-Brewers game. Phillies are wearing their powder blues, and Jamie Moyer is actually pitching for the Phils, who either made his debut or in his rookie season pitched against the Phillies when they're wearing these jerseys in the 80s. It was either his debut or during his rookie year, but either way, inconsequential. Uh, we we go over to the stadium, and this is after we went to this place. You know, we we, le- we left early uh, from Philly in the morning. Morning, uh plane ride over to Milwaukee took however long couple hours maybe and we get there midday we uh, we have a hotel in this little uh, suburb of Milwaukee if you can call it that because Milwaukee itself is kind of a suburb but it's uh Wawatosa uh, Wawatosa we're in and we find this little pizza place to go get something to eat before the game. The nicest people I've ever met. This place was called Nickel Glass Pizza or Glass Nickel Pizza. I can't fucking remember. Nicest people ever. We told them, you know, we're in town from Philly. We're here to watch the Phils and Brewers series. And they were... They printed us out bus schedules and maps and told us places that, like, we didn't ask for any of this. We simply ordered pizza and sat there uh, in anticipation of going to this, you know, uh, going to this baseball game to watch a hockey game at a TGI Fridays at the ballpark. (laughs) So we roll up uh, and we get there. We take a cab. A guy gave us a bus schedule and all. I'm not taking a fucking bus. I'm on vacation. We called a cab, uh, like, two cabs, probably, because there's a whole shitload of us and take us over to the park. If you've driven through, like, I don't know, if you've driven through, like, Pittman, New Jersey, imagine driving into the Grove in Pittman, and then you make a random right, and then suddenly there's a huge, like, cleared-out parking lot, and then ballpark, like, college football-sized tailgate area, and then gigantic ballpark. That's what Miller Park was like, just driving through some random suburb, and then boom, it, like it's in a neighborhood, basically, uh, but we're all decked out in Phillies and Flyers gear, and we, we go up to the ticket window, no way it's sold out, it's got the Empower's game in 2010, uh, and they tell us they're running a discount for for Milwaukee locals uh, to go to the game, and we're all wearing Phillies and Flyers shit, and she uh, the, the lady behind the ticket window just goes, you're from Milwaukee, right? You know in that accent, I'm not gonna try to do it, but we're like we're all looking at each other, and she like points to the sign where it says, like you know Milwaukee residents discount tickets that night, I'm like, oh, yeah, she just lets us in for that price, gives us the tickets for like eight bucks or whatever the hell they cost. We never went to the seats, I don't think for this game uh we went right to this t g i Fridays, and of course, the flyers fall down three nothing. Uh, this TGI Fridays was crazy. It's in the ballpark. It's an indoor little restaurant, kind of like Harry the K's, if it was all if it was all inside. Uh, but you were allowed to smoke in there still in 2010, uh, and this was you know early May, first couple of days of May, and everyone there was pissed that on July 1st there was going to be an indoor smoking ban, and we were like this. Yeah, this has been illegal, and you know, at home for a while, and they were all just furious, like it was the end of their freedoms. But, it, like, at a certain point on this trip, we were all at a bar, and we went out to smoke, and they thought we were running out on the tab, because that's just what you do—you go outside. They're like, "No, you do that in here. You can't just get up and leave." And that really took us aback. But anyway, yeah, so we watched this game at the uh, at the TGI Fridays at Miller Park out out in left field there miller park and they had a sign on the wall that said it was straight up like world's best cup of coffee and elf uh just world's best long island iced teas i'm like newly 21 at this point i've been 21 for like six months maybe um nine months i guess probably but me and my one friend world's best long island iced teas will be the judge of that so we just start pounding them and they were excellent from what i can remember but what I really remember about this, as the Flyers fell down 3-0, was all these Milwaukee Brewers fans were just being the nicest people in the world to us. And we'd already you know, run into a bunch of really nice people. The ticket lady, the dude at the pizza place. So we just assumed that they were being super nice. Uh, as it turns out, after the game, and the Flyers had won and we were repaying all them by buying them shots, they told us we know about Philly fans and we thought, if we were nice to you and bought you drinks when the Flyers were losing, you wouldn't like tear apart our bar and beat us all up. And it was just one of those moments when you remember Philadelphia is different. Like fans of another team demanding that the bar put on their hometown hockey game (laughs) and then getting intently into that and going nuts as they're losing. And then of course, you know, they start to come back and uh, some of you know I have a tradition with my friend Frankie and I. Uh, every time a one Philadelphia season ends, we toast to the upcoming next one, you know, whatever. When Philly season ends, we say go Birds. When Flyers season ends, we say go Phils, etc. Uh, well, I bought he and I shots uh, as the Flyers are down 3 nothing right after they gave up the third goal. And I held mine up to Frankie and I said... Go Phils. And I took mine. And he said, no, not yet. The series was 3-0 once two, And then he took his shot. And then, of course, the comeback is on. And they pull off this just absolutely tremendous comeback. Uh, I, I couldn't honestly tell you what happened on the rest of the trip. Uh, for that night, at least. That Friday night. Couldn't tell you. Uh, it was just a celebration. We're buying shots for all the people who bought us shots. They are again repaying us. Uh, we're still drinking World's Best Long Island Iced Teas. It is, of course, the home of Miller Lite, so, of course, got to have some Millers. It was it was just quite the evening. Uh, fast forward to the next day. We're in town for the weekend series. There's a little Irish bar across the street. It's a day game for the Philz. There's a little Irish bar across the street from our hotel. We made it exactly that far. Uh, a bunch of people who were sitting in there watching the game, you know, Brewers fans from the area, are like, "So you came all the way out here to watch the game from a bar?" <laughs> and we're just like, "Well, we were there last night and uh, we watched a hockey game the whole time, and now we're having brunch and watching this game from a fucking bar." And you know, Phils win that one too. Bar was ridiculous. Uh, don't remember much of that day either. I guess we had a good time. I know it had a Jimmy John's sandwich. For the first and only time that night. Uh, It was disgusting. Um, That's neither here nor there, I suppose. Fast forward to the next day. This is where the story really gets fun. Uh, So, it's game one now against Montreal. And the Flyers just absolutely dominate. And we do the same thing we did the previous game. We just went to that TGI Fridays Watched the game. It was much less dramatic. Flyers win. I think, was that one the 6 nothing game? I believe it was. They just fucking crushed the Canadians. They had nothing for them that day. Uh, then, somehow, even though the game started at the same time, in my mind, we watched like half the game, half the Phillies game from our seats uh, out in like foul territory left field area. And we were up there, and it just so happened to be Hank Aaron bobblehead night. The, the Phillies were wearing their retro jerseys because the Brewers were doing like a whole retro thing that year. They're having a bunch of retro weekends, and on this night they were honoring Hank Aaron. Uh, the '80s, it's uh, I don't know whatever the fuck it was. It was still retro weekend. Hank Aaron bobbleheads. On the bobbleheads was a list of all the players they were going to honor, like great Brewer history players. And the last one on the list that they're going to have a bobblehead for, this is in 2010, two years after 2008. Phillies beat the Brewers, uh, you know, game two, CC starts. He walks, Brett Myers, Victorino takes him deep for the slam. Boom shakalaka, it's over. Uh, this is two years after that. CC's long gone. He got them to the playoffs for the first time in forever, I get it. And then he left for the big paycheck for the Yankees, and the end of his time in Milwaukee was giving up a grand slam fucking Shane Victorino walking Brett Myers they're going to give him a retro bobblehead and I just you know we were celebrating Flyers win a big game one Eastern Conference Final I was somewhat lubricated and I just start screaming about how ridiculous this is to have a baseball franchise honoring a guy who was here for like two months and lost their biggest game like single-handedly, almost, you know, I just start freaking out uh, to the point where a bunch of Brewers fans. Now, this is after two straight days of encountering only the nicest people in the world uh, in Milwaukee. We finally, we finally got some pushback from the uh, from the Milwaukee natives. Uh, they start heckling me back. Well deserved. I was being a drunk asshole. Uh, but this one group just gets going and going, and they're just. They're just yelling at me to the point where people are telling me just stop responding because they're so annoying, but like telling me to stop is uh, foolish. Uh, So I just keep yelling crazy shit back at them, and finally the whole section turns on me because I'm the drunk, belligerent Philadelphia fan. And I, of course, revel in this role like Ric Flair style, and I stand up and I'm standing on my seat, and I go, I've been here for three days and haven't encountered one real fan. If I was in Philadelphia doing this right now, the whole section would be throwing shit at me. Well, <laughs> they did. It's Hank Aaron bobbleheads. Like, I've been to Phillies bobbleheads nights. You know, I love Chu Truiz. You know, Carlos Ruiz, I love him. But at the end of the day, he was a nice defensive catcher slash eight hole hitter. Um, But I have and cherish his bobblehead. I would never pull the head off of it and throw it at some drunk idiot fan and ruin my own enjoyment of this bobblehead. We're talking about Hank Aaron bobblehead night. And these fucking people, all of like dozens of them started raining bobbleheads down on us, the heads of Hank Aaron bobbleheads. The, the the thing that really pissed my friends off was I didn't get hit, and they all did, like knocked over their beers. It, like, it was a shower. It was, it was a full-out assault of these bobbleheads. <laughs> and I didn't get hit by anything. Um, but then the people who were instigating me, I guess, but the other people who were most involved in the instigation get escorted out by, like, regular yellow shirt, security, after this whole thing dies down, and, like, we come out of our bunker, and I come up yelling more, and think people don't have more to throw, but they do, because they have their drinks and whatever, uh, nachos, it was straight up WCW, it was fucking ridiculous, it was, it was Hogan turning heel, that's what it looked like, uh, but I come up, and I start yelling again, and the people I was yelling at, they get escorted out by, like, you know, yellow event staff security yellow shirt event staff security those types of people and I'm just standing there and suddenly a cop just taps me on the shoulder like full out armed police officer and he just gives me the like come here with his finger I do the who me (laughs) he's like yeah I scream what did I do and he just shakes his head and goes let's fucking go And we're walking, this is like short, I don't remember how long after the taser thing, this might have been played out at this point, it might have been right after, who's to say, it was May of the 2010 season, but the taser thing had happened, and it was in the Zeitgeist, and I just asked the guy, I go, you got a fucking taser? He goes, no, I have a gun, come with me and don't say anything, (laughs) and So I complied, uh, and I, I left the stadium with, the, with him after inciting a riot. He just kicked me out and said, "Yeah, you know, why you got to come here and make this kind of problem? I was like, well, I'm from Philadelphia. I feel like everyone wanted the song and dance, and I gave it to him. And then I ran into the group who got kicked out right before me. This is the next thing my friends all had a problem with. We had a good back and forth for several innings. In my mind, it was it was good banter. It was you know fans of, of opposing views telling each other what was up. Good shit talk, good game. Let's go drink some beers. So I went over, shook their hands. Thought I was doing the right thing. At this point, all my friends who had followed me out to ensure I wasn't being like taken away by the police, uh, wasn't under arrest. He just escorted me out and told me to leave. Uh but they followed, you know, they're good friends, and they saw me shake these people's hands. And we had just left this game. Game was still going on. They did not forgive me for that. So we went to the bar, uh, and I had to buy every round of drinks that night, uh, from then on out. We left the game early. It was my fault, and it was a big group of us. I think there were I said like twelve or something earlier. That sounds ridiculous. I think it was eight. I think it was two rooms for a piece. That's how we traveled. You know, we weren't luxurious at the time. All right, uh, so that's that story. That was Milwaukee. Uh, that was me at my at my best and worst. Uh, I don't know if this was any. I don't know if it was interesting or funny. I don't know if I told it too monotone or not. I I probably did. Um, sorry about that. But w- what do you want to talk about now? Because, man, I am just sitting here thinking about the possibilities for this flyers team and i am fucking excited man like i'm being a fucking flyer right now uh, the retro I, I i tweeted this i think i said it on the show i got the uh, i got the reverse retro i got an Oscar lindblom and i'm uh, the first day i got it i was like wearing it around the house like a little fucking kid like uh, Ava was like take that off we're eating dinner i was like oh right i am a goddamn mess <laughs> but Uh, I'm just so excited for this upcoming season and and the possibilities of it. I know it's an abbreviated season. I know it's going to be a fucking shit show, especially in the beginning. Uh, You know, football had its ups and downs. Baseball had its ups and downs. They eventually got through it. Uh, But I'm just excited for this era of Flyers hockey and thinking about what this team could be like. Lindblom, it seems like they expect him to come back at full strength. Imagine if they have that guy back in the lineup. You know... uh, Fucking, if one of Morgan Frost or Nolan Patrick turned into a little of what we think they could be, let alone both, imagine if both of them are like 75% of what we think they could be. My God, this team could really do it. Carter Hart, we talked about that top 25, under 25 ESPN list. They have Carter Hart in the conversation with the Mourners and Rannens and Highskinens of the world, Quinn Hughes, that's how he's viewed. Uh, if he takes this next step, this team is just gonna be something, man. It's, it, uh, can they win the cup? Do you think? Do you think this is the actual team that could do it? Like this year, shortened season, thrown it back to ninety five. You know they had that. Shortened season uh, with the lockout. Lindros wins MVP. Flyers win the division. Of course, they lose the Eastern Conference final to the fucking Devils who win the cup. But what if it could be that type of year for this Flyers team again? Just everything coming together at this time. Sean Couturier, this uh, continues to dominate. Giroux, just this, uh, like a final peak season. You get what you want out of JVR. You get what you want out of Kevin Hayes. TK takes the next step. Uh, Sandheim, Provorov, and Myers all take a next step. It's so many what ifs, but they're all within the realm of possibility. I don't know how you can't be excited about this upcoming season. And then the even deeper, like, what if Scott Lawton is? What if he's able to give you consistently? what he gave you at his height last season, you know, what if he's a legit third liner who makes himself known in the top six, it could be such a versatile lineup this year, Uh, just really looking forward to it, and I know I'm rambling now, but uh, it's not something we get to analyze, you know, each week on the show, an individual part of the team, I try to keep a theme of the show, we talk about the veterans, we talk about some young guys, um, and you, you, you get looking into each, okay, they're really good here, but micro, you, you get into their flaws too. When you just take a step back and look at what this team has, it's fucking exciting, man. Alright, so I hope you enjoyed everyone else's, uh, and if they're more after mine, I don't know. I assume I'm last, because I'm the last one turning it in, but I could be at the beginning, I could be in the middle, I don't know. Uh, but I, I hope you enjoy everybody's drunk history, flyer stuff. Uh, it's fun to do this kind of thing. I put mine off, it's not as good as I wanted it to be, but I think I told a pretty good story, uh, even if, you know, whatever. If it sucked, it's free, get over it. Uh, but here's something I want out of everyone. Everyone listening, what I want everyone who made uh, who made it through this far into the drunk history episode, you're probably one of our best listeners. So I want to be able to feature you on uh on this show. I want to record or I want to put together. Uh, all your fan stories, the Philadelphia Flyers fan stories that you will tell your kids, that you will tell your grandkids about being a Philadelphia Flyers fan, what it means, why, uh, what got you, what just a, the the ultimate Flyers fan moment for you. I'm gonna put these stories together and I'm gonna put them out uh, on the podcast feed uh, as a special New Year's episode uh, sometime in the New Year. I'm not saying New Year's Day. I'm gonna get around to doing this, uh, but email a short a shortish tell a good story you know uh, a shortish recording to broad street hockey radio at gmail.com that's broadstreet hockey radio at gmail.com and tell me your fan story man i want to put a bunch of these together uh, and just put it out out on the podcast feed now of course uh, if for some legal reason you know we can't have not employees unpaid people and the Uh, whatever, on the podcast feed. If if I'm stopped from doing this somehow, such is life. But if nobody stops me, this is something I'm going to put together. So uh, just tell me a great Philadelphia Flyers fan story from your life uh, and put your name in there, and you'll get to be featured on the podcast feed. Uh, Do that, and I think it'll be really cool. Don't worry, Steph. I'm going to do this myself. I'll check the email myself. You won't have to do any extra work. This will be on me. It's all on me. I got it. All right. Well, that's about all the time I have for you on this uh, special edition of Bill Yammering About Bullshit for a few minutes. Uh, thank you all for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to Street Hockey Radio. And, uh, fuck, Happy New Year. <music>